This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at grief and of course as part of that death. And I'm joined by Stacey Heels. Stacey is a writer, speaker, curator and mother who discusses grief, loss and how to really live. She left her previous career as a fashion academic to care for her husband, musician and artist, Greg Gilbert, when he was diagnosed with incurable bowel cancer. Greg died in late 2021 after five years of living with the disease, during which Stacey found very few honest accounts of the carer's experience and used her platform to discuss taboo subjects such as death, money, sex drive, anticipatory grief, the politics of cancer, widowhood and how children grieve, which makes her the perfect candidate for this podcast too. Stacey also hosts Silver Boots Supper Club, a group dinner to consider everything you're afraid of but want to do before you die. And she's done a TEDx talk which focuses on positives of social media when experiencing trauma and its potential for meaningful connection. That's a big spiel. So let's get cracking with the episode. Stacey, I always like to start with three questions. Ease us in and then we'll really go for it. How are you really? What star sign are you? And what's your favourite crisp? These are excellent questions. Um, Start with the most important. I'm a Pisces, which I do do believe you are as well. (laughs) Don't you find that you can spot your own? Yeah, and I end up with so many Pisces on this podcast. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean... It's a weird dynamic, isn't it, that you can be in a group of people and if you were to really think about it, you could totally clock the Pisceans. Yeah, I mean, do you feel, do you do you own your Piscean-ness or do absolutely. you? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. I, I am like the, the archetype, the um, dreamy, flighty, artistic type. Are you? Are you? Do you do you think you're a real person? I, 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 I yes, I am. But my it depends how much you're into this. But my moon is Aries, so it means I've got this really quite fiery, driven part of me. Which, to be honest, is actually terrible because the Piscean part, the the Pisces in me, absolutely loathes that section. So I quite often do stuff which is quite hot headed, and then lose myself in um and beat myself up for that. I don't, yeah. I don't know what my moon is. I think ah. that I, that's interesting because I definitely, I'm not just this ethereal creature just floating around the world. I'm really um, stubborn. I'm really strong-willed, um, very flighty, gets bored easily as well. 
Ooh. So maybe. Oh, I'm going to find out. Yeah, it's a quite important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not important, but uh, I mean, if you're oh, into but it this, is. Oh, but it is. <laughs> I've got an episode of this series with um, uh, Fran- Francesca Oddi, who's an uh, astrologist. I'm going to do a full out and out star sign one and I can get oh, all of this stuff yes. out in the open. Do it. And I'd um, probably lose a load of people who don't care about this, but anyhow. Who cares? Who cares? Um, uh, Favourite crisp? I tell you what, at the moment, it is cheap, cheap, the cheaper the better, onion rings. Wow. Wow. Um, so you're not wanting to be in close contact with any kind of other human being? Not interested. Not interested when they're involved. Um, I can do the whole big share packet of those. And uh, the other question, uh, how am I really? Oh, if you'd have asked me yesterday, I'd Mm. have said, are you allowed to swear on this? Yeah. Oh, um, I'd have said fucking shit, like like on my knees shit. Um, Broken. Yeah, just really found things really hard yesterday. Today, do you know what? I've woken up in a totally different mood. It's so weird. Grief is a funny beast works mm. in mysterious ways so currently i'm i'm all right not too bad and, and you know what what i want to say to you is you've got to really own that today feels like a better day you know because it's so easy to I imagine live in fear of when that crash comes again which is kind of inevitable but today right now you feel okay i'm very much a fan of grabbing the good moments yeah. when you when you've had such a uh, an unbalanced waiting towards the shit. I think when when the good comes, you just uh, you want to revel in it and just mm. uh, bask in the light of it. Yeah, that's good that you're allowing yourself to do that. So for listeners, um, Stacey and I have met before. We've actually I hosted a dinner about five years ago, just over um, for Stand Up to Cancer, and and um, Stacey wrote an amazing list about the experience of being a carer. And then, as Greg was dying, she wrote another list, which is probably one of the most remarkable bits of writing I've ever come across. Oh, so, good goodness, so, so Clemmy, thank you. Well, it is. It's it's um, yeah. I mean, it, it stops you in your tracks because. It's one of those things where you're writing in 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 a moment when we are stripped down to our most human. It's almost like you're writing a list when you're in labour. You know, there are very few moments where you nothing else matters and you can just really see life for what it is. So unusually, I've asked Stacey to read that list on here because... Otherwise, I'm going to be trying to refer to it. And the only way you can understand what it's like is to hear it. So that's my intro to you. Thank you. I have known for five years that Greg would die of stage four bowel cancer. I've read every book. I've had all the therapy and nothing has prepared me for this moment. I feel shocked to the core. I'm so angry that as a society, we don't talk about death and grief and it fucks us up. I'm thinking about the details of my NCT classes, about birth, about changing nappies, about breastfeeding, and yet I knew nothing about the process of dying. Death is so abstract. It reminds me of eating meat. You know it's an animal, and yet you can't really get your head around that you're eating a living being's flesh. The brain seems to abstract certain concepts in order for us to be able to put one front foot 
I'll read that again. The brain seems to abstract certain concepts in order for us to put one foot in front of the other and be able to eat a burger. I was not expecting the emotional disengagement between us. I imagined Greg to be himself until the moment of his last breath. I now know that this isn't what happens. I thought I would be camped bedside, holding hands until the end, but for the past seven weeks since Greg went into end-of-life care, I've spent around ten minutes a day with him. He finds visitors overwhelming and too much. Dying is a process. You're not just alive, feeling very poorly, and then you suddenly slide off into the universe. In our case, it's been long-winded, with good days that follow bad days. My friend Anna Lyons told me that people are in life are... Let me say that again. My friend Anna Lyons told me that who people are in life, they will be in death, and this could not be truer. I can't get my head round where Greg will go. If I was religious, this would be so much easier. I feel like an alien in amongst humans. I know this awful secret that we're all going to have to watch someone we lie to that we're all going to have to watch someone we love die close up. And now I have to go about the daily human business of going to Sainsbury's with this existential knowledge. I'm so glad that we wrote our wills a few months ago. I'm thinking of all those women sat behind their... I'm thinking of all those women sat beside their dying husbands worrying about finances. We had critical health insurance and it has saved us. Oh, did you want to? Did you want me to read like the bit about the insurers wanting Greg to do the AIDS test? Is that shall I do? Do it all. Shall I do it all bit? Okay, I'll do that from the start. Hang on. We had critical health insurance, and it has saved us from when Greg was in a band. And insurers believed that you are more likely to contract AIDS if you are a musician. True story. The thought of having to work or lose your house in the worst moment of your life is sickening. The beginning of the end came from nowhere and is now like a toboggan hurtling down a mountain. I want to be around so few people at the moment, only people who are as close to Greg as I am. I crave being alone. There is so little space and time to process anything that's happening. This is a liminal space, like a dreamlike waiting room. I recognise everything around me and yet nothing is the same. I feel like we are all moving underwater. There is so much silence and waiting around. There is lots of small talk about nonsense. Making dark jokes have kept our inner sanctum sane. Greg and his brother Aaron thought about pranking their parents by putting a white sheet over Greg's body. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see he died. I forgot about that. This is the perfect insight into their family's humour and it is so welcome now. <laughs> I'm finding my feet talking to the girls about Greg dying. My policy is I will tell them everything I know, but they ask me questions that floor me, like how can we let our dog know that daddy will die and will dad ever have a haircut again? Sitting with them in their grief while I try to process mine is the hardest thing I've ever done. Holding the space to meet them where they're at rather than where I would like them to be feels mostly impossible. I'm scared of the future, in particular the girls' teenage years. I don't know how I will navigate it on my own. I was a sassy, difficult teenager, and even at five and seven, Darley and Bay are mini versions of me. 
The physical feelings of grief are often overwhelming. It feels like morning sickness, being drunk and a hangover all at once. I feel like I've had a lobotomy. As quickly as thoughts come, I can feel them leaving my head, lost into the ether. Who do I phone first to say that Greg has died? Who gets an actual call and who will get a WhatsApp message? The thought of phoning people and having their grief mirrored back to me is too much. I thought that I would be with Greg when he actually died, but now I'm not sure at all. I think that he doesn't want anyone with him. All the nurses tell me that people die when loved ones go to make a cup of tea, and I can absolutely see that happening. I keep thinking that this is almost over, as if there was some kind of salvation on the horizon. I think that that might be when the real work starts. Other people I love are going to get cancer and die, and at the moment I have no idea how I will find the strength to do this again. I feel like a child and an old woman all at the same time. I'm starting to feel reckless, like everything and nothing matters all at once. I wonder how that will manifest after Greg dies. I'm thinking about what I will wear to the funeral, how I will buy something fabulous and keep the labels on to take back afterwards because I know (laughs) that I will never be able to wear it again. I want to look like a full-on Italian mobster widow. If I have to be a widow at 41, I may as well be a fucking fabulous one. (laughs) I'm wondering if my waterproof eyeliner is all it's cracked up to be and if I should risk it at the funeral. I hope there aren't people at the funeral who didn't really know Greg that rock up and sit near the front while close friends have to stand outside. How do you police that? That actually happened and I knew it was going to happen Mm. (laughs) and it did. People are mad, aren't they? Well, I was informed that um, by the funeral director, they were like, look, you don't need to worry about this. There is definite funeral etiquette. Like people will know. And when I was at the front talking, doing my eulogy, I kind of looked up a few times and there were people I was like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> how the fuck did you get in here? Because um, because you could only have so many people inside. There mm. was all these people. There probably was about 600 people outside. Wow. Like all of my best friends were outside. They couldn't get a seat. And there were fans of the band that I saw sat inside. And I was like, fuck you. Mm. Sorry. sorry. No. Sorry, I just, I totally forgotten about that. That just reminded me of it. How do you sum someone up in three songs at a funeral? There is so much left unsaid. So much. You think five years of knowing your days are numbered would mean that you say all of the things and you don't. Relationship dynamics get in the way. There is so much that I would like Greg to know about how he has hurt me over the years that I've had to keep to myself because cancer trumps everything. And that time has gone. I've been silently angry with Greg over the last few weeks. I didn't think you could have so much anger at someone who is dying. It feels very inappropriate. And there is so much that I would like Greg to know about how much I love him. All the ways that having him as my person has shaped me. I listen and dance to his music in the kitchen when the girls are at school. And I can feel who he was when he wasn't ill. And it makes me feel young and hopeful again. Listening to This woman's work by Kate Bush before going to sit by the bedside of your dying husband is a rookie error. Why the fuck did I do that? I forgot that. (laughs) The joy, the joy of just sitting in silence for five minutes watching him breathe is like a religious experience. 
I want to smash the universe to pieces to bring him back from the precipice of death just to have one more conversation with him, something trivial, anything, just to hear his normal voice say my name. I can't bear Greg's belongings in our bedroom, his half-read books by the side of the bed, half-eaten packets of favourite biscuits. I want to throw it all out and paint the walls. I can't bear the thought of anything changing in our bedroom, though. It will be as if I'm getting rid of us and I'm homesick for another time. I hope people don't send me lots of flowers. I'm really allergic. I desperately want to go on holiday. I want it to be over, but I never want it to end. Wow. <laughs> wow. I did. I purposefully didn't read that uh, before speaking to you because mm. I wanted to it to hit. Because, uh, yeah, I wrote that... Um, uh, five months ago now mm. um and I forgot so much of that so much of that I'd I'd forgotten um and you're you're really right about saying about like writing something in labor that that mm. moment where reality has shifted mm. you are you but you're also not you and you're in this kind of you're in this transient space that I think you do experience in labor where you're you are so confronted by life and birth mm. and this incredible moment and really it it really is the same the other end yeah it is uh it's it's the same space that you enter um yeah and I say about this liminal space where you're mm. everything you're looking around and you're seeing your people you're looking at your own home but it's like a dream because ev you are living in another world at the same time. Mm. It's a very bizarre thing. Yeah, you have in both times, you have um, this outer body thing where it's like, this is changing. I am I know that it's changing. I can kind of physically feel that I am changing and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. And it's, you know, you've got to move forward in in both cases and... Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's, it's the, such a powerful bit of writing. Thank you so much for like putting that into the public domain. Because oh, it's, well, thank, it's the thank most you. Intimate. I feel I, I felt it was really important for me to write about that space because I think one of the key things that I write about is um, about how angry I was at mm. that time, which seems like a strange emotion in in such a space. But it was because I was thinking no one talks about this. Mm. No one has ever explained to me what dying looks like. And that's someone who's been immersed in cancer world for half a decade with somebody who we, we all knew was going to die. And I, you know, I'm the perennial student. I had read all of the books, listened to all the podcasts. I'd done all of that. I was even working with, um, Anna Lyons from Life, Death, Whatever. She, at what well, she was my end of life doula. She, she, I had a doula for end of life. So it is like birth. Mm. It is birth. And um, even working with her and like really wanting to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of what this was going to look like for me to prepare myself, nothing prepared me. Again, like birth, really, nothing prepares mm. you for a human coming out of your body it, it, and and the emotions and the chemicals and the endorphins mm. 
And it's the same. And I felt so angry that we've got such a setup. There's infrastructure with birth and there isn't with death. Mm. And I felt that I'd done all the things to kind of really help me. And I was just shocked all the way through the really active part of Greg dying, which was two months long. Just shocked by the things that I felt, that I saw, um, the things that I didn't know. Um, And we had nurses with us that were coming in three times a day. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly going, what does this mean? What does this mean? What are we thinking? What like trying to analyze everything mm. and i mean again like labor there's no people can't say oh you're going to give birth mm. in 5 hours um no one can tell you when someone's going to die even if they're literally about to die but yeah i i just felt so much anger that these things aren't talked about and it just leaves us even the more um the, the people like me who thoroughly researched it just really lost do you and i i couldn't agree more you know it's part of part of why i go about this work and as you know i've, I've spoken to anna at length and she is remarkable but th- then i'm wondering is that because because you can't know because like, th- there is definitely things you need to understand about the process of of dying for sure but in some ways, can you ever intellectualize or prepare for something? Is this one of those human experiences where unfortunately you just have to live through it? Or do you think that's not the case? I think there are certain, certainly physical things that, that people just in, just in biology, I think being taught to people should know, um, about the dying process, about what happens to the body, what happens to people mentally. Um, I mean, imagine in labour, if someone didn't say to you in NCT classes or just in, you know, your midwife sessions, you have a placenta that you are going to give birth to afterwards. Mm. If, if, you're have, if you're having um, a, a natural birth, you're go- imagine not being told that and the it, terror of going oh What's jesus this? christ i'm giving birth to an organ <laughs> um or if no one told you what water's breaking was mm-hmm. and suddenly you've you're surrounded in liquid imagine not knowing that mm, it's true and it's it, it's just this kind of very basic thing about how the body will die and again of course you know, again, to go back to labour, it's so different for everybody. You can't say, this is how it's going to work. This is how this is Mm. going to look for you. There are similarities, but everything's different. But Mm. there's, yeah, there's some core things that I really wish that I had known and that I didn't learn in the moment. Mm. I also really wish that I had known a lot about what happens emotionally when someone dies. I think Mm -hmm. for me and the inner sanctum of our families one of the the hardest things was that greg retreated from us mm. and we were not expecting that yeah that's really hard and, 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 and again yeah, you understand you know, it yeah you understand absolutely what he's going it's, through. It's, and actually you know we talk about animals about when an animal is going to die they retreat they find a dark corner under a bush to to die alone that's what that's what animals do and 
And actually, it's nothing like the things that we see in films, in TV, that mm. heartfelt moment. And I thought, I'm going to get it. We're going to, I'm going to be sat. We're going to be holding hands. We're going to be looking in each other's eyes. And I'm going to get to tell you everything I've ever thought of you. And you're going to tell me these beautiful things. And I'm going to take this on. And it's going to be a beautiful moment. You know, mm. we talk about good, good, a good death. Mm. That's a that's a term that I heard a lot of and what that can look like. And actually, I do think Greg had mostly a good death mm-hmm. um, compared to other things that I've heard from other people. Mm-hmm. But I had this idea of what I thought things were going to be like, mm-hmm. what I was going to get out of it, what I could share with him. And that wasn't the case. And and i'm not and i'm not critiquing that situation so as in saying i was asking too much of greg greg wasn't giving enough to me it's more like i oh this is not this is not how this was advertised yeah it never is life never is but no it's... no and it's and, and what a disservice what yeah. a di- what a disservice to to all of us and then you're then you're kind of holding on to again sim again similar to birth you're thinking oh because we didn't do that bit right that that becomes something that well I can only imagine that you fixate on I've you know when I've experienced death myself and it's like that isn't really what it's about that those final weeks and the fact that you didn't get to say anything because you your relationship is based on your experience of having been together for the time that you've been together but yeah the brain loves to like get focused on something that that to try and wrangle because that's a bit more tangible and and yeah you are doing yourself a disservice if you get fixated on that yeah and i'm i'm i i am part of this society and culture so i most certainly am even on paper i absolutely know that i've got 15 years with greg to kind of to to draw from but absolutely currently in this very early stages of grief mm. I most certainly um keep going back to moments where I'm thinking I really wish you could have said that to me I wish mm. that I could I would have got comfort from that or I wish that I could have explained that a bit further to you and and the, the hard thing about death is that it's done yeah it's done the conversations are done there is no mm. more and the only discussion that's going to carry on is the one that I have with myself I was going to say about saying okay I don't get to carry that conversation on with you, but I'm going to have to come to some kind of peace with this because I can't, I can't carry this for on forever and mm. make this a thing. But yeah, like you said, I've got, I've got many, many years with Greg in our relationship to draw from, but yeah, it's hard. It's a process. It most it's, certain, it's, it's it, a process. Yeah, it is. And the weird thing is in that final bit of, of death, you're kind of two, navigating two things. You're navigating quite a medical situation where I, when my granny was dying, when they were talking about pain relief, there's a, if you if you know what you're hearing, there's a bit where that transitions from like very, very end of life, stopping them being in pain. But your brain is still like, oh, this is pain relief. You're kind of fixing something. Or the fact that you, your instinct is to get them to eat and drink because we that's what we're always told is is the bit that keeps people, you know, that's our instinct to look after people. But suddenly that kind of transitions out as well. And you, you, you can't, 
actually when you stand back you can see when those moments happen but when you're in it it's a blur isn't it there is very much a tipping point um so greg went into end of life care he was in a hospice for two weeks and then made the decision that he wanted to be at home we kind of made the decision that ho- that home for him was going to be his parents house because mm. his mum is just a she's not a nurse but she most certainly could be she is the most natural carer I've ever seen and I was it was the beginning of the summer holidays I had two small children at home there was no way that I could look after Greg and have to and and have the girls watch it Mm -hmm. um and and we are all so happy with that situation and it was a weird transition because you were then thinking okay you've come home to die but the tipping where, but you were still, yeah, talking about medicine. What medicines is he going to have? And there's like a toolbox of medicines in the living room of he needs to have this and it's a full-time job. And then the tipping point comes where you realize, and I don't quite understand where that was for me. Mm. I think we all experienced it differently, which was you want him to live longer, but then it tips into you want him to die and I don't and and maybe to other people who haven't experienced that that world might not understand the that might sound quite severe but it is true because what you are witnessing you if if someone is kind of well enough I say well in the in the loosest of terms but if someone is kind of if you're having conversations with them and they're not in too much pain you can absolutely think I want this to carry on. Mm. Why can't this just carry on? <laughs> Why can't mm. we just carry on like this? And then there is a point where you're like, no, no, this, you're, I want this to end. For you're willing them to yeah. die. Yeah, it, yeah, it, absolutely. It, for them, for you, for everyone, for everybody, because it becomes, it becomes yeah. too. It, it's too much. Well, I also think, again, in the times that I've experienced death in close quarters, I think there's a huge act of bravery on the dying to let them to let themselves go. They, I, I really believe they have to give themselves over to that. And as a control freak, I understand <laughs> how that must be the most unbelievable leap of faith into the next whatever, next nothingness. I remember, yeah, when my granny died, feeling immensely proud that she'd finally relinquish control and that is it's such a weird thing that 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 willing them to die section and it sounds horrendous but Mm. and I did I did have a moment where I wondered if it would come because you know again stories you hear tv and film I wondered if the time would come where I would say to him you don't have to stay yeah and it did Mm -hmm. I did I did end up saying that to him um and but it was when he was pretty out of it by mm-hmm. that point, and I whispered it to him of like mm. just saying, "It's okay. We are go- we are going to be okay." Yeah, you know. Obviously, personally, I was kind of other part of my brain was thinking, "Fuck, are Don't we? Don't you dare go! Don't leave are me! We, oh my god, are we going to be okay?" But but in that moment, to say, "You don't have to stay for this. Like yeah. you are okay to go." You've done it. And um, there was a relief, actually, being able to say that to him. Yeah. Again, it, it sounds 
bizarre it really does to be able to say to the person you love the most die let yeah. yourself die oh what a, a weird one weird yeah but also a huge act of bravery on your part because i i mean is there a more crystal clear articulation of love than to say i'm yeah this is the the single worst thing that's about to happen to me but I I want you to move, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of I don't accept it, but I'm kind of I don't find the language to describe it. But it's a very specific thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And I um I wasn't actually there when he died. And I taught. It's interesting to read to read out you, what you I knew wrote. that was going to happen. Well, I thought because of because of how he he most certainly didn't want a lot of people to be around him mm. we we were all talking privately saying this is going to happen when we're out of the room mm. this this is not how we thought it was going to happen and and the nurses were saying oh it's so common it's so common that people will do that they will make a decision the person dying will make a decision to do it not in front of other people mm -hmm. um, and that's what we thought was going to happen I was really gung-ho about the fact that I was going to be there for forever. I was, for years, the whole of the time that Greg was ill, I was thinking, I'll be the one, I'll be lying next to him, I'll be holding his hand. I don't know if other people are going to be able to cope with it, but I will definitely be there. And as the time was coming, I realised that I absolutely couldn't handle it. Um, and I was terrified of, of being there. So I spent the the night before he died, I spent the night alone with him. He Well, there was a lot of people in the house. Yes. Everybody had kind of, we were told it was ours. So the whole team, uh, uh, you know, extended family turned up and everyone was, you know, the kettle was on, the candles were on, the blankets were out. And we, we set up a vigil, which was wonderful, actually, for everyone to be together. And... Weirdly, I laughed more on that night than I have for years. Mm. My sister, one of my biggest, my strongest memories of that night is being with my sister-in-law in Greg's parents' kitchens, wetting, literally having to cross my legs because I was laughing so hard at these stories that she was telling me. Um, I was hysterical. And and then I, I slept next to him alone well done that night well I did well I say sleep I did yes, sleep you were next to him. in in the slightest and I stayed with him and then I got to six o'clock in the morning and I just thought that's it I'm done that's it I'm mm. I, I'm done and, and I can't explain it more than that and um mm. oh I opened I opened the window for him and um I just whispered to him you can go you can go now you can uh, go and i've left the window open for you and you can go and just gave him a kiss and just said i'll see you later and just um drove home in the drove, drove to my parents house where my children were at six o'clock in the morning um and it was really, it's so funny you have these poignant moments and i remember having some poignant music playing on the drive <laughs> through the dark and it was like a film and i was really in that film moment and then and then it's weird how like real life kicks in 
no one would answer the door. So I was then having to like try and phone my mum. Nobody would answer their bloody phones. <laughs> then I'm having to like go, mum, mum, like outside at six o'clock in the morning. And it was like, it just popped the balloon of poignancy. But that's <laughs> like, life, isn't it? This is real life. And um, yeah, so I wasn't, um, I wasn't there. Greg's brother and his cousin were actually with him. And they told me that um, they were telling they were just telling these stories about their childhood to each other and they were showing each other really funny videos on YouTube and they were wetting themselves laughing. So the last thing that Greg heard was stories, like really funny, stupid stories. Stupid about boy his stories. Ch- yeah, stupid boy stories from when he was a kid and them laughing at like really vulgar videos on YouTube. And it is perfect. Yeah. That is perfect. I couldn't have wanted anything more than that for him but you had the part with him that was right for you like you wouldn't want yeah for you to have been in that situation wouldn't have been quite right either it, it does it does it, it does work out and you knew in yourself that you did yeah it had tracked in the way that felt right in that moment it, it, there was nothing more that you can do than ex, than go with your inner feeling yeah and I've really uh all of my intentions through everything I ever did actually through the whole five years was to my criteria was, will I regret this later? Yeah. And I, those were, that was my decision-making process always. And in terms of that stuff about the actual Greg's death, I, I'm really happy with what I chose to do and what, what we all chose to do. There you go. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's huge, but it was but it was not what we thought. We absolutely no, we that's... none of us it, none of it worked out how we thought it was going to at all. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass. But how can it? it, it that's yeah. That's what it is to be human, isn't it? And that, that's actually what I was going to ask you about. I was going to talk to you about grief. We've just really gone big on that <laughs> actual death. Um, but. Do you think that the anticipatory grief that you, of course, felt because of, you know, because of the diagnosis, do you think that prepared you in, prepared you? Do you think it served a purpose? Do you think it's just one of those things you have to live with? And this is 30 questions in one. How do you, when you've lived with grief in you for so long, how do you, does it become part of you? I think is the question I want to ask. Hang on, let me ask the first. Yeah, so what did I bit. ask then? The f- hang on, the first bit. Anticipating it, do I think that it helped grief now? Yeah. Um, or prepared you uh, in yeah, any way? Yeah. Um, I started grieving for Greg the literally the moment that Greg was diagnosed mm. with incurable cancer. It, it it began then, and I remember on the drive home from hospital after we were told he he had to stay in hospital. I was on my own, and I wrote his eulogy in my head. Did you? on that night and it's pretty it, do you know what it's pretty much exactly the eulogy I did write five years later 
everything I wanted to say was pretty mm. much exactly the same. And I wrote it in my head that night. And that's when the grief Hit. started. Absolutely. And I do think it helped me. Um, I There was no denial, but, you know, when you're in those meetings and you're doing all the research about treatments, there's no, you know, there's, there's just the statistics of everything. You, there's no denial in that. So I think that the process began and I, I, I think for me, I don't think this is the case for everybody. I don't think it's a universal truth. I think, but I think for me, I had done so much work. I had thrown myself into therapy to process stuff. I think that it most certainly did soften the blow. To, but I think I almost tried to, I think I did definitely try to outrun it. Well, I thought, right, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a lot of this again. This is the, this is the student in me. This is the, you know, this is me thinking if I can just do enough work now, it won't hit me so hard later. So I, um, again, I did all the research. I read all the books. I was listening to Griefcast from the very beginning. Um, and I had my, um, my secret library. Uh, in my house where I was reading books about grief hidden inside other books so that Greg didn't see because Greg had a very different thought process to me. He was very much about, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going there. I'm just going to live. Whereas I Mm. was aware that I'm the one who's going to be left. I'm the one who's going to have to deal with the children. So I need to be prepared. Put the other side. A little bit like the kind of the little girl scout. Um, No, look, bit like the yeah. girl guides of like being prepared and I wasn't obviously I wasn't prepared for the death and I don't think it's I mean I do think it's lessened the blow but the grief is different ask. because I, gonna... I can't feel like oh my god Craig's gonna die oh but I'll just nip upstairs and I'll make him a cup of tea and we can go and have uh, a chat about what a shit show Brexit is do you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's, there is no antidote to the grief now. Yeah. Uh, we can't just sit and watch the office. So I can just be like, you're here. I can feel you. I know it's coming, but right you're this there. moment you are here. Um, so the grief is different because there's, there is this, there is an emptiness now, this mm. real, and it's quite physical for me again I think it probably manifests different in different people but for me it's it's quite guttural there's this emptiness in my gut where I I, there's nothing to fill it and I think before that we our lives were so full of the normal day-to-day like having to do the food shopping having to deal with the kids the school run all that kind of stuff and also like oncology appointments, our life was very, very full. And I think, yeah, the the void is just, is very, di- is very different now. So it, it kind of, it's just changed. And again, this could be me projecting, but you've been working towards something. You always knew that the, the death was the end point. And then, and then that's happened and you're, quite literally over the other side of that and that is that whole feeling of something on the horizon even if it's a negative thing it is something to point towards isn't it that sounds bizarre but it's, it it's absolutely not it's not bizarre because actually it again to go back to birth it reminds me of 
everything about the pregnancy when you're doing like um the apps that tell you how big the baby is mm. and you're gearing up you're gearing up you're gearing up to labor and you feel like labor and birth is the finish line and I can <laughs> yeah. rem- I can remember being alone when I had Dali my first daughter that moment where the visiting hours are over everyone's gone and you're alone with this baby and I was like I've basically just done the same as running a couple of marathons I'm so exhausted I'm in pain Mm. and now I've got to figure out I've got to look after a baby and again it was one of those moments of going no one talks about this Mm. no one suddenly like now the real work starts and you both, <laughs> sorry, in, in both instances, they're the two most forever things. One, the thing is, after the first six months of parenting, oh, you're like, all right, this is my forever. Now. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's the same with with the with the death with the death yeah. and the grief. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're not coming back. No, oh, no. Oh, this is it forever. Oh yeah, I've got this. This child now wants my attention forever. Yeah. Basically. basically. <laughs> This person uh, is now looking to me constantly. And I remember that feeling of feeling it's that like the overwhelm and the shock of like, oh, I thought, oh, I thought the the birth was the end point. Mm. That's what we were heading towards. And I mm. I feel like that with the with Greg's death, that it was all gearing up to this end point. And now that we've tipped over into this next phase. I'm like, oh fuck! I've things are still hard. Oh, and also, I've still got to go to Sainsbury's. Mm. Oh, I've still got to do the reading with the kids. Like all this other stuff still ticks on, but there's this enormous other thing that I've got to carry at the same time. And then again, this might be too early in the process for you, but again, like motherhood to begin with, you. You you, uh, you wear the badge of motherhood. You're like, oh, and I've got these babies. And then you get to this weird bit. You're like, oh, no, I want to find a way to be Clemmy, <laughs> who has children. Now, you have been so defined for a long time by a woman whose husband is dying and now died with cancer, which, of course, will continue to be a part of you. But how what you've got to now figure out how to be Stacey and be you. That that's a that's definitely has been one of my considerations through all of this, especially because Greg was in the band Delays. Um, he was a really well known artist as well. He had books of his poetry published. He's just this like disgustingly talented all rounder that that was well known. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I was kind of in in many circles Greg's wife, and then that became to, that began to shift and became to be known in my own right but again it was because I was talking about grief and obviously talking about Greg and yeah I don't know how that's going to pan out because Mm. currently yeah like you know as I'm sure you did when you started your blog um, about being a mum that you want to talk about like Mm. the details of like, I want to talk about all the details of having babies. And then you get to, again, it's that tipping point, isn't it? Where you're like, when you're around like other parents, I don't know what age your child has to be to feel that, but you're like, I don't want to talk about sleep patterns. Because I've just got to live with this. Kids don't don't sleep. So we've got to just carry on. (laughs) That's the end. I don't want to talk about what they're eating. Because they don't eat. They don't eat. They don't eat. They'll eat when they want. I don't know what age that happens. I don't know what age any of this happens, but I don't want to deal with it. I think for, I think for me at the moment, I'm 
it's really helpful for me. But I, yeah, I definitely think I know that I don't want to be defined by Greg's death. I mean, obviously, it is such a pivotal moment in my life, in my children's lives Mm -hmm. and our, our family's lives. But in terms of it being such a kind of heavy negative thing, I can't take any of that stuff away, but Mm. I suppose what I can do is try to take all of that and turn it into something else. I mean, I, I definitely, a part of me definitely died when Greg died. And I mean that in a way where I remember being sat next to him probably the day before he died. And I could, it was the bizarrest feeling. I could feel my physicality changing. It was almost like I was, you know, like in Teen Wolf. Mm. It's <laughs> happening. Or like Michael Jackson in Thriller, where like he's kind of like turning into a different thing. Mm. It, I could feel physically myself changing watching him die. Mm. And again, like birth, like, you know, when like your the muscles in your body are moving in a way like you are some kind of alien, mm. like what the fuck is going on with my body? Mm. It felt like that. I was changed forever. So, you know, the me who used to be a fashion lecturer, um, who was just a bit more easy, uh, bit yeah. more easygoing, I suppose, a bit naive to things, mm. maybe less empathetic towards people. I mean, that, that side, that part of me, I can't go back. There's no going back to that. There's going forward and I can, I can take a lot of this stuff that's happened with Greg and, and turn it into something different. I don't want to say you can make lemonade out of lemons. No, bullshit. But, but but there is, you know, all those cliche sayings, there is always an inkling of truth in those, which Mm -hmm. is like, well, this is the hand I've been dealt what else am I going to do? I've got to work with what I've got. Um, yeah. Actually, a couple of things there. In, the, in that mother rule list, list where you said, I feel like um, a child and an old woman both at once. I think that's such, such a profound thing. But actually, I think it's because in those moments, you're most stripped back to the purest version of you. And I think when these big life shifts happen, it's very disconcerting because you can no longer pretend to be something, you know, the person you are in death, the person you are in, in labor, the person you are in these raw moments is, is the pure you aside from your qualifications and your outfits and your, yeah, you know, whatever else. And it's weird. I think it just happens with age as well, where you're like, Oh, all these years I've managed to kind of front things. I, I get less and less able to be anything, but the most authentic version of me, which is, is terrifying in some ways, but also, <laughs> also liberating, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Glennon Doyle talks about a concept of every different version of you, every age that you have been living inside oh. you. And I resonate with that so deeply. Mm-hmm. I definitely have had moments in the most harrowing of moments during the past five years of having these really young versions of me bubbling up to the surface and thinking, you know, the real right romantic Piscean child who 
was like, your husband's going to die. Like, how the fuck yeah. has this, how, how are we here? How are you 41 about to be um, a widow? How the fuck did this happen? Yeah, this is this is tragic. <laughs> this, this is what it's going. This wasn't what was going to happen. <laughs> no. This wasn't what was going to happen when you were eight. I was talking to one of my friends last night about being like a preteen, looking at my pictures, my posters of Corey Haim on my bedroom wall, and like crying in that way where you're like, I love him so much, and I just want him to be my boyfriend. And these idealistic views you have of that are infiltrated into your brain of this is what love is going to look like. This is what a marriage is going to look like. This is who you will be up until you die when you're at the ripe old age of 95. <laughs> and yeah, I've just having these, these different versions of me cropping up going, what? This is this is not what we thought mm. was going to happen. That makes me sound um, like I've got multi multiple personalities no. in my head, but I really resonated with that idea that that she that she offers mm. up that these we just have the, and I draw a lot of strength from those. Like mm. like you said, like the the older I get as well, it's I definitely live a lot more authentically. But you realise there's a hell of a lot more to be scared by. Uh, there is uh, life is just way more tricky there's mm. a hell of a lot more things that can hurt you and sometimes I do need that like that 18 year old me's defiance and confidence mm. to just be like oh fuck it just keep right. going it'll be all right because yeah. actually off mic with producer Steve we were just talking about, about like when when will this chaos end like when will we not have stuff all over the table when will the cupboards be sorted and then you sit between this thing of no, I need to sort this out, or versus the level of acceptance. I think again, and I'm just about to turn forty as well. You're kind of waiting for all the the easy fun bit to come back, and it it's not going. But I'm not going to be 25 again. It's a real shock. Well, I've uh, especially going through cancer and death. Uh, you know, with someone that I actually that I live with, who is well, he, Greg was a couple of years older than me, but. I've started to do some maths in my head of like, okay, so I've got I've got small children who are six and eight. Um, my parents are how old are my parents? Oh God, I don't want to say the wrong age in case they listen to this. Um, they are early seventies, let's say that. Um, and I'm now kind of going, okay, so my children are going to need all of this, all of this energy and time for me. Then my parents might get ill, so I'm going to have to look after them. How many years have I got? of mm. like you said that freedom when i'm where i think i'm going to then kick in in into like oh the freedom the ease being able to um really enjoy this this part of my life and you know i learned from greg that you who knows when the next phone call's coming no so you got to who who knows when the next you know routine appointment turns into something else mm. with yourself with your you know God forbid with, with your kids with yeah. someone you love, um, and then things change again. So I I definitely I talked about in that list about becoming more reckless. Mm. I, haven't, I haven't been very reckless yet, but the feeling you can of it there. yeah, <laughs> but I could, yeah, no that feeling of like oh my God I've got to live mm, because because. What's what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Something's yeah. going to something's going to happen. Like I I haven't used up my quota of pain 
with my husband dying, no. which I'm so fucking annoyed about. Because <laughs> not I how would... it works. It's not how it works. Like, I've would... done the really big bit of bad stuff, so now the rest is going to be fine, right? Yes. It's, it's unfortunately like, oh no, it this. It, yeah, life is un- unbelievably unjust. Yes. So, so yeah. yeah, so now I'm like, okay, right, I'm currently in this time when, right, okay, yes, we've got big, big, deep grief going on, but let's live. Mm. And I think that is an antidote to, to, to death. death. I, I think when you've seen death close up in that way, I think it's why a lot of um, a lot of people get pregnant after they've um, been nearer death. That's not going to be me, but um, yeah. But I think I we me and Greg got pregnant with Dali, um, pretty much immediately after Greg's granddad and one of my best friends died within like a week of each other, just to be so shocked by death. We were like, "Why? What are we waiting for? Let's do it. What on what on earth are we waiting Mm. for? Let's let's get pregnant. Let's just do it now." Yeah, and that that is the gift. There's definitely a very for me. There's in in the immediate part after death, you have this very out of body thing where you can, as I said before, see life for what it is, and you're like, why on earth have I been bothering with that thing? Why am I stressed about that? That actually, I don't like that at all. That's out. And then and and if you can, that that clarity is a gift, but it's 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 yeah, it's fleeting. I think because you get caught up in the Sainsbury shop again. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fleeting. But if you can, if we can try and hold on to it, that is the 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 lemon out of the lemonade out of the lemon, isn't it? I've definitely felt that. And it's weird. After four months, I can act, I can feel it slipping. Mm. I've, I've, you are, I think you feel quite superhuman, actually, mm. after a death. I think it, it builds this protective bubble around you, which might be shock, maybe, where you are just kind of like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I do, well, you've I, had it. You've had the yeah, bad thing. Yeah, I know. It doesn't get worse. Yeah, nothing can hurt me. Literally nothing can hurt me. Nothing that anybody does or says can hurt me. I feel like, yeah, like you said, you've had this veil lifted and you see exactly what's important in life. You see the nonsense and, you, yeah, you, you think, I know, I know the answers of the universe. <laughs> yeah. And then... And then you don't sleep because your child is up saying like, I want to get up. I want to play Roblox. It's half past four in the morning, but I want to play Roblox. And you don't sleep. And then you haven't got the right things for the lunchbox. And, Mm. you know, yeah. And then life life just trundles on. And Mm. you kind of, you can forget. That's that's the the tricky thing about life. It's like the, the, the absolute magic of it being in existence versus the mon- the mundane trundling through it and accepting that a lot of life isn't extraordinary in yeah. fact it's very everyday and and it's trying to it's it's a horrible cliche but trying to remember that the mundane bits are the magic somewhere yeah no that's really true when i think about greg you know i got to do a huge amount of incredible things with greg um when he's played, when delays played at festivals, I got to be side of stage. I've yeah. got to go to uh, meet loads of different people in bands. I've got to go to incredible studios. I've got to go to recording studios abroad. None of that feature in my top ten or even moments. top or, or even top twenty moments with Greg. In yeah. fact, if I could do anything with Greg now, if I could have him, oh, for an hour, I would. 
we would sit in bed with a cup of tea with his favourite biscuits, rich tea biscuits. Oh, bad choice, Greg. Uh, yeah, <laughs> shit biscuits. Um, and um, and we would, uh, and we. This is what we did every night after the kids were in bed. We would sit in bed and um, we would listen to James O'Brien on LBC talk about politics, and we would rant about politics and. You know, not not the most relaxing way to go to bed, but it was what we loved to do. And then um, I would drift off, and he'd carry on reading, and I would. That would be the thing I'd, I'd do mm. if I had one more hour with Greg. It would be that. So every day, yeah, and so, and, but so precious, yeah. I can't believe that you. I, I'm so honoured that you've you've talked through these moments, Stacey, because it's it's the the hardest stuff to talk about, but. There's so much to learn from from sitting in this un- unbelievably uncomfortable place that no one wants to acknowledge. But it's there's beautiful some, and amazing and terrifying, isn't it? There's a really... Um, I found out that in some cultures, the widow is revered as a spiritual teacher because wow. they are seen as someone who has come as close as possible to the precipice of death. Mm-hmm and walked back and that they have they have a gift for that people come to and they kind of are used as a spiritual figure that might do healing or offer advice to people within the community because they feel that they have been near something that most people haven't mm. and i and i agree with that I, mm-hmm. I i i definitely i feel like that that i feel that i was watching something that other people weren't watching mm-hmm. and and learning lessons that that other people haven't or, or, or many 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 people have obviously but um mm-hmm. and I feel a real instinct to to portray that back to people mm-hmm. almost like I've kind of gone on this journey this voyage and I've come back to tell the tales of what's on the other side mm. And that that's called wisdom. And what what else can we want from things than other than to get have the opportunity to gain wisdom? And yeah, you've you've got it. And it, it and what we have to do with that is try and share it, which is what is what you're doing. Here we are, yeah. Roll, and, rolling with adapting to what we've got. I wonder whether your worlds will come back. You know, the line again in that list where you talk about your outfit for the funeral. Did you get a good outfit? Fucking brilliant outfit. Wow, great. <laughs> What did you wear? It was so dramatic. Was I, it? Did I you wore, wear veil? Yes. Yes, oh. I did. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. I wore, I wore um, the most, I wore black lace that uh, I've got to find a picture. I don't know if I've got a proper picture of it. Big puff sleeve, black lace to the floor. I wore, gown? Yeah, a gown. I wore. I bought the most expensive pair of sunglasses I've ever bought. That are like, they're basically the size of my face. Um, big black sunglasses, and I wore like a, um, a fascinator that had a big uh, lace veil across it. Oh, and I wore black lace gloves. Did you take them off in the in the church or in the no, I, did I, when I did the eulogy? But do you know what? I just thought, like, because I like my mum, like, I ordered 
thousands of pounds worth of dresses to be and I was like I just need to try them on because obviously like we yeah. all had we all had COVID we all had COVID just before Greg's uh, funeral so I couldn't leave the house so I had to have all of this stuff bought in and my mum was like look is this a good idea Do, is this a fashion show and I said yes yeah. yes, yes it, it fucking is. is I was like listen I've got to go you've not been to your husband's funeral you don't get to say because I I'm going to go and I'm just going to look as Fabulous. brilliant as I fucking can do. Um, and that's it. And like, there was some, like, <laughs> I must admit there was one with a train. <laughs> so basically just a, just a wedding dress, but black. Yeah. And my mum was like, enough, please. And even I had to say, okay, mm. I, I can't, I can't have a train. Um, but yeah hats off to you but I did it yeah and and it was interesting what you said about um how do where do you think you know not being wanting to be defined about grief that's definitely a big consideration for me because like I I don't know what I'm gonna feel maybe I will feel fine for it and it and you know I don't want to talk about my own grief forever because that's boring and boring for everyone else as well I, I I very much want to build a community and and listen and be a space for other people to have mm-hmm. their stories and their voices but also about um the exhibition that i curated was about post traumatic growth which was about how do you thrive like how do you learn how do you go through trauma so not just death but like trauma mm-hmm. and then how do you thrive from that how do you morph it into something mm-hmm. which is becomes quite an incredible thing for your life and actually, that can start with wearing a really, really great outfit. I love that. I love that because that's connecting to yourself, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I think that is something that I want to think about. So, Because for me, you know, as well, Greg being ill, the pandemic, everyone's just wearing still, Elastic. You know, elastic. Uh, you know, I, I've got a wardrobe full of um, clothes that I don't wear because... Yeah. You know, when I was a fashion lecturer, every single day was a fashion show. That's a fact. And it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, And I definitely feel like when I want to feel better uh, and I want to enjoy clothes, I want to, um, as as I think is important for for many people. So, yeah, I I definitely think that fashion can come into it. That's like... That was my old life. Maybe I can fashion and grief bringing them together in a crazy cocktail somehow. You laugh, but I feel like I feel like that. That is what it's got legs. It's got legs. It's you know you like until you see it when you go. Oh right, yeah. That that is what it looks like. Well, I, I mean, I would really like to see your outfit, really, if you do have any photos. I mean, you don't really take photos at funerals. Again, quite one of those weird things when naturally it's quite an amazing you know day. What? Bloody devastated that there weren't photos. Yeah, I don't know why, because uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you just don't. You no. feel like you're being naughty, but there is a day that you want to try and remember isn't yeah. it? There was a video of, um, again, this is a very modern thing, where um, there was a video uh, of the of the funeral of the actual funeral so then you can like telecast it out to all the people that can't be there oh right I, that's a covid thing that's yeah, that yeah. started in covid okay. but they're carrying it on for like people who might be in other countries yeah, or I get just that. or just can't get to the funeral um 
My mum, because uh, you don't get it, it's just like a password you give out to people. My mum's a bit of a tech wizard, so she um, she videoed the screen. So we've actually got the video of it. Wow. And what's ridiculous, again, I don't remember this, but the um, the song that we played as we went into the crematorium was um, Raspberry Beret by Prince. I dance down the aisle. <laughs> But that's what you're feeling. But I was holding my like Dali and Bay's hands, and I think it was just that moment of like Greg is being carried in his coffin yeah. in front of us by giving the accent by like his you know his family, his best friends, my brother. I'm holding. I'm dressed as some kind of like mobster mole. My children, we're at my children's father's funeral. And it was just that moment. It's like pumping in the speakers. The reason we chose it is because the song was Delay's walk-on song. So they always walked on stage to Raspberry Beret. So it was quite fitting. Yeah. And the music took me, and, but I don't remember doing it. It's only when we watched the video, it was like, fucking hell. I was dancing at my, at my husband's funeral. But, what, but, but I mean, this is a whole different <laughs> chat. And actually, I have done a podcast with Anna and, um, well, with the life death, whatever. Louise. Yeah, yeah, Louise. Like, funerals can be, we, there is no way of doing them. You've got to make them feel the way that they should feel, not just for the person in celebration of the person that died, but for the people who are grieving. And, you know, life and death and joy and sadness are, and all sit so close to each other. Yeah. We had, um, in the funeral, we had a lot of... Um, in jokes that happened and um we even got the celebrant who was like a proper um vicar i think he is but not like anybody i've ever met before he's got the filthiest mouth you could imagine and we even convinced him to he came wearing like the full-on garb like the dog's collar the full black robes to the floor we convinced him to wear a delays t-shirt underneath and then he did like the big, like an ABBA reveal at the front. He pulled it off and was wearing jeans and a Delays t-shirt. It was incredible. And But all I could think was, I wish Greg was here to he'd, see he'd this, love this. He would fucking love this. But that's that's how it should feel, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was um, it was good to, to design something that really was a proper celebration of who who... And it was very... It was very Greg. Everything about it was so Greg, which was good. Yeah, and and I'm sure he would have loved your outfit. Oh, would he, he not? Would no, he not, no, I know. It. I know exactly what he would have said. I, on, you know, when you just know someone, it, it you just know their words. I'd have walked in, and he'd have gone, "Oh, here she is." <laughs> Steve, can't bear that it's about someone else. You've got to be <laughs> the centre upstaging. Got to. It's all about me. I knew that he would like. He would joke. He would real. He would really take the piss out of me. But yeah, he yeah he would have. He would have thought it was very funny. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't even let. Wouldn't let his funeral be just about him. No. no. God no. God no. <laughs> see, it's, that's hilarious. Well, I'm, I'm conscious of time and I need to wrap it up. But yes. thank you so much for, oh, for, for making me pleasure. laugh and cry today. It's been absolutely brilliant. <laughs> pleasure. Thank you for having me, Clement. Oh, well, that was a remarkable conversation. It was quite a strange thing because when um, Stacey was writing that list, 
she was we were obviously in quite a lot of t- contact she was dm she was emailing and to, to inadvertently to have been any part of those final weeks of greg's life was both an honor and extremely strange and it feels very nice to have been able to actually talk to Stacey, I was going to say face to face, it's still via a screen, but to actually talk to the human who was sharing that amazing um, writing with me. And everything we covered in the episode really, that, that death is of course absolutely terrifying because it's so final and because it's so inevitable, but there is so much aid to be gained from talking about it so that we are better equipped to deal with it when we're faced with it with our loved ones but also because because it is what living is about and those moments of clarity those moments of pure joy and pure pain that Stacey talked about in actually those final moments of um, Greg's life are yeah are what it's all about along with the really mundane stuff too so I'm going to try and hold on to a bit of that clarity for the rest of my day and I hope that you can too also I referenced um, the, a previous podcast it was actually on honestly with life depths whatever where we talked about um, death and grief on that and that was actually a very practical episode talk about the um, process of organising a funeral so I'll put that in the show notes we've also got a previous episode with Carrie Ed Lloyd talking about grief so that will also go in the show notes um, I'd love to hear from you and I'd love you to share this episode if you found it valuable. Again, this is the kind of topic that we want to get out far and wide, so please do share it. So that's it from me. Catch you next week. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.